Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the John Kahn Report wherever you get your podcasts. And you can subscribe to us on YouTube at Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. It would be much appreciated. Today, it's round two with former Washington tight end Logan Paulson as he explains the mock draft he did on the commander's website and why he selected a receiver at number 11. The position wasn't surprising. The receiver was a little bit surprising. Logan also discusses his own draft experience. Just so you know, when he does these mocks, he talks to people about this process. He kind of explains some of it. He talks about what he heard from coaches about the receivers and offensive linemen. He's got deep connections in this this league. Why he wanted Drake London to run his 40 time. And there was a receiver late in the first or early second that he really likes. And why we both want to see them get another offensive lineman. What he hears, again, from line coaches. There's an old lineman from Tulsa that he really likes. And again, his own draft experience. It remains a special moment, as you'll be able to hear, even though he was an undrafted free agent. Also, I talked to Joel Corey, host of Inside the Cap podcast, a part of the Empire Network, about the Terry McLaurin contract situation. Joel has advice for both sides, plus some Deron Payne contract talk. You can follow Logan on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson82, and you can follow Joel on Twitter at Corey Joel, C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. You can read my work on ESPN.com. Before I get into all that, I wanted to touch on for a minute the whole Federal Trade Commission possible investigation. After Washington's letter to the FTC, I talked to a former longtime employee from the agency. Now, he's no longer there, but he's a former one, worked there for more than 20 years, about what he felt all this meant. He said it's customary for Congress to give a business a heads up if they have something they're going to send to the FTC in order to respond. But this is not a customary case because it's so high profile. He said if this were not a high profile case, he thinks the FTC and the local attorney generals could probably walk away from this. He does not think that will be the case here. But he said Washington's letter shows the agency that this will not be some slam dunk case. And he did think that either the FTC or a local AG's office would look into the security um, deposit aspect of the investigation. The revenue sharing, told you this last time, but he said again, it would be viewed as a squabble, most likely viewed as a squabble between two businesses and something they would really not need to go into. And there is the politics to this entire case, as it has been from the beginning. The Democrats in the committee are in favor of this investigation. The Republicans have never been. The FTC is headed by someone appointed by a Democrat, but there are two Republican commissioners. The agency probably won't want to upset the Democratic-controlled committee. But keep in mind, the typical FTC investigation takes nine to 15 months. So it could be a long while before there's a resolution in this particular instance. And as as this former FTC guy said, by that point, Congress will be on to 7,000 other things. So we'll see what happens. Anyway, that's it from me. It's time for some football talk. So after this break, I'll be back with former Washington tight end Logan Paulson. Which receiver did he think Washington should take at number 11? Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with former Washington tight end Logan Paulson. 
His pick at 11 was a little bit surprising to me, not because of talent, but because of something else. I also don't think it's a pick that Washington would make, but I think Logan has some very interesting insight here. Logan, you did the thing that's probably the toughest thing to do in this business, which is put out a mock draft, and it's up on the commander. It's up on the commander site now, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so, on the commander site. Yeah. So I didn't realize you were a sadistic to go out and do that, but but I know it's part of the job. And actually, it's not. It's not that I'm sadistic, John. It's that I'm stupid. I didn't. I was like, they were like, you want to do a mock draft? I was like, oh, that sounds like so much fun. And then I started doing it. And I was like. This is way harder than I thought it was going to be. So. What what part of it was harder? Like, what did you what did you have to do? Because like everybody want everybody's like, oh, it doesn't matter. You always want to be right, and you want to match up with what the needs are. So, what did you have to do just to just to familiar or to educate yourself? I think the most difficult thing was establishing your big board. And so, what the big board is is just kind of your sequence of players, right? And so, it's hard enough to evaluate all the receivers against each other because they've all got a little skill set, they all got little different fits. But now how do I take that receiver group and then interweave them with defensive linemen, tight ends, you know, offensive linemen, guards, centers? How do I how do I determine positional value for each team with with different positions? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Like it's that was the thing that was most challenging because there's an offensive lineman that I love. Right. But does he add more value to this team or to whatever team, Team X, uh, compared to this cornerback? You know, and so determining that is really, really challenging. And then the more film you watch, the more you get the, the players fleshed out and the more you get to compare. And then, um, you know, that's the other thing is kind of looking at other people's mock drafts and looking at other people's evaluations and comparing them to your own. It just is a very time intensive process, one that I really enjoyed, but it took a lot of time to get to get it hashed out. And, and I'll say this, like you always studied this stuff before you were doing this. So it's not right. like you had to go. I mean, this was always something you've done very well. Um anyway and so who was the hardest guy in your top 10 who were the ones were there anybody that you struggled with a little bit more to place yeah I think the whole top 10 is a little bit down this year you know I think so yes. the top the top 10 was really tough um the middle section of the draft actually like picks 11 to 24 ish were pretty easy because they, they just they were good football players it was kind of an embarrassment of riches in a lot of ways and then the last last third of the draft was really, really tough because this draft, like we've talked about before, is so dense. So instead of having like a pool of 20 players or 30 players to fill 10 spots, now there's like 50 players that could potentially fill those spots and could easily, you know, kind of, you know, just kind of whoever's picking who if they like, you know, like edge rusher, for example, in this draft is very, very deep. So a lot of people like George Karloff is from Purdue. Um, I'm, I don't like him as much. I don't think he's as physical in the run game. So I go. I wasn't as impressed by him. Yeah, so I go with the kid from Penn State because I like him a little bit better. But I'm, I wouldn't be surprised in a second if right. if Karloftis went where that where the Penn State kid goes or Boy Mafe goes there. A lot of people like his, his senior bowl. I don't like his college tape as much. Super impressive. But again, there's three guys that could easily be slotted at the same spot. And then that bumps people down, right? You slot somebody in at 22. The next edge rusher goes at 25. And all of a sudden, one of those guys is a second-round pick. And whoever's getting him in the second round feels really happy. So I think that's the thing about this draft that was so tough, bottom half. And then for the top the top 10, like you were saying, I think um, I think the guys that were really, really tough in there were the guys with like uh, that I've heard in talking with people in the NFL that had character issues, right? Um, Kayvon Thibodeau, Derek Stingley, those guys make the draft impossible, right? Because obviously their film is very, very good. Um, I'm not as high on Thibodeau's tape because I don't think he bends very well. And so it was easier for me to push him down. But when you hear stuff like that, because of the talent of Stingley, for example, he could go 
second overall if, if right. Detroit loves him, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and then obviously the quarterbacks make that top half very or the top third very difficult because Carolina needs a quarterback, Atlanta needs a quarterback, um, New York maybe, right? And so if one of those teams picks a quarterback, it just kind of moves and shifts the whole draft and has um, you know an aftershock effect throughout the whole thing. Yeah, and that's that's always the hard part. Now, so you know you look at that because you also had Charles Cross going top ten, and I yeah. think he's one of those guys that goes kind of jumps in and out of that top ten, right? Yes. Um, you know, and then matching then Jermaine Johnson, I've heard who who you had going tenth. Yeah, I've heard good things about him from for a while that people thought he'd be a top ten guy, which always means someone's going to fall. But the last one on two of the top ten, you had Pickett going with to Carolina, I think. Six, yeah, correct? six. Yeah, and that and, I know like this quarterback class, like depends who you talk to, who they like first. You and know? I hate and I hated that. I hated having to do that. I don't think that's right. You know, like because they talked about the big board, like he's not. He's not a, he's maybe like a bottom first half, like, yeah. you know, first half of the first round type guy for me. But I think the thing about him that was tough is I look at Carolina, I'm like, what are they going to possibly do here? Right. They don't have enough draft capital to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo necessarily this year. So maybe they package picks from next year and make that happen. Um, I don't know if you're going to take a flyer on a former first round quarterback uh, in Baker Mayfield and try to bring them in after your kind of issue with Sam Darnold last year. And so I don't know, and Sam Dar and, and Baker Mayfield's openly said that he doesn't want to go to Carolina. So that's going to be a tough sell, I think. And so to me, what is their other alternative? And it's I, I can't see a way around it. They need to draft somebody and they don't pick again until the fourth round. So it's not like they can get one of these like um, Desmond Ritter or, you know, one of these other guys, Sam Howell. I'm not as high as on him, but, you know, one of those kind of next tier guys, Adam Malik Willis and, um, and pick it right. The kind of the next group of guys in the second round, like they can't do that. They don't have that flexibility. Right. So they're going to need to do something pretty drastic here. They could trade back obviously, but again, no one's trading up with them because there's not an elite quarterback. And even like I've talked to guys around the league. So Neil Aquanu, I love those guys. I like their tape a lot of Quanu, especially it's fantastic, but I've talked to guys around the league and they say, Oh, they're not as good as the guys from last year or the year before. So why am I going to trade up for them when I think they're kind of middle of the road, especially in an offensive line class that's super deep. And you say, oh, well, what about the edge rushers, right? We've got, you know, um, Trayvon Walker. We've got Jermaine Johnson. Why don't I trade for one of those guys? And then, but to me, the difference between those guys and the guys we just mentioned, Carl Loftus, the kid from Penn State, um, uh, the, the guy from Minnesota, I forget his name, but is not that big. So why are we going to mortgage draft capital to move up for a guy that we don't think is necessarily generational? So I, again, that's the thing with Carolina at six that makes me so frustrated. It's because I didn't want to make that pick. But I don't know from a team building standpoint how you go in any other direction because they don't have a quarterback that they feel good about going next season. So, so for this team, you you have a receiver there, yep. and I'll be honest, it surprised me a little bit who it was, yep. Jamison Williams. Jamison Williams, yeah, I think I'm probably going to catch a little bit of heat for this, but to me, like talking with my buddies around the NFL, talking with receiver coaches, like I just I had to, and I had to trust my own evaluation here, right? Um, one of the things I love about him is. The thing I love most about him is probably the thing that people talk least about is his physicality, right? He's not a big man. He's like six, one and a half, like 190, I think he's listed at, but he blocks and he plays gunner. And I just, we talked about, you know, um, we've talked about receivers and their special team ability and why that's important because it shows tremendous toughness. And then I see him run routes and for a guy that fast to have the level of nuance that he has, especially off of stems, not specifically like in terms of footwork at the top, but just in terms of stemming guys up, right, it's right. very high level. And to me, he's the most explosive offensive player in this draft. 
And if you want Scott Turner's offense to be this vertical passing attack, I can't think of a better, more suited player to get that done in terms of fit. Now, in my mock draft, I talk about the other guys. I talk about Devin Lloyd. I talk about Jordan Davis. I talk about Kyle Hamilton. I talk about Derek Stingley. I mentioned all of them and why they, I wouldn't be surprised in, in a second if they went that way. I just think for this team, that Jamison Williams upside is something that you can't overstate. And it's really exciting because he's, he's you know, maybe the top five fastest guy in the NFL and he plays with the physicality and you see his passion for when he plays that the Ohio State guys don't necessarily show. And that's why I push those guys down a little bit on my list. And and with Williams, who obviously start off behind, <laughs> sitting behind yeah, yeah. Wilson Olave, but it wasn't that they, you know, I think even the coaches there would say the kid can play, but how are you going to bench these guys? Yeah. Well, you know, he'll be there in two years and then suddenly he transfers and he blossoms in yeah. a big way, which is not surprising because you saw flashes of the talent even there. The other thing too, like he's got that ability to run away from people. So on those shallow, it's not just, it's not just the deep stuff. It's those shallow yeah. crossers, which you can really, really use to your advantage. And I know you, you've talked about a lot of it before. And one of the things that kind of differentiate, again, you're looking for anything to differentiate these right. guys because they're all good football players, really, right? You're looking for any little thing. And so one of the things I loved about Williams is on the crossing routes, when he catches a ball, like he's a punt returner. Yeah. He's not afraid. And he's running with a physical mindset to like score touchdowns. And Alave has a tendency, at least in the film that I watched, obviously there's a lot of film out there, a lot of games, to kind of turtle up and, yeah, and I don't want to say give himself up, but again, like which player would I prefer? It's the guy that's running with a violent mindset to score touchdowns, you know? And when I talk to receiving coaches, that I unprompted, that information comes up. And so I do think that Jamison Williams, of the people that I spoke to, and again, that's a very specific tree of people, value that skill set a little bit more than the other guys. And I have him at two because of the ACL, but a lot of guys that I spoke to said he was their favorite receiver in the class. Now, these are coaches, right? So a little different evaluation process, but I think that's important to understand here. Well, and that's the other thing I was going to ask, too, because the ACL is a factor for teams, yes. and it may be for this team, too. Um, but and, and the funny thing is, if he doesn't have the ACL, he's not even in discussion at 11 right. yeah. on before 11. Yeah. So, you know, and that's the thing that we don't know is where our team's going to grade that. And like I said, I think here it's a factor, but I think the proof will be on that night if he pops up there and, and he's not there, then it is the knee. And as I say this in my mock draft, it's a factor for me too. I just look at what the, what he would bring from a potential standpoint, not necessarily this year, but like I, I really think he's the guy that has the biggest upside in terms of being an explosive, game-changing type player. And that to me is worth taking a little bit of a risk on, obviously. They like size and they, I think they want size. That means yep. Drake London. Yep. You obviously went this way. Do, what, what do you think of him? And we've talked about him too. And like, you know, there's sometimes, well, what, what do you think? You, I don't care what I think. Well, I actually, I love everything about his tape. I love the way he competes. I love his physicality. I love his short area quickness. I love all of that stuff. Right. I do. Th I don't think he's like a true X receiver necessarily. I think people see those measurables and they say, oh, he's a true X. I know you had a guy in your podcast last week who said that. I would disagree with that assessment. I think he's kind of a move piece. You know, I think he's like, um, you know, like Marcus Colston comes to I've mind. I've heard that name a few times with him. Yeah, like Larry Fitzgerald S. Kind of like he's a he's a more athletic tight end is what I what I visualize mm -hmm. him. Like my my comp for him is Jordan Reed. Like he's got that nice double stick quickness, that basketball ability. I think he high points the football better than Jordan. He's kind of always open because of his size. 
I really, 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 really wanted him to run his 40 yard dash. I really wanted him to run because I wanted to know what his, what his vertical speed is. Cause when I watch the tape, I'm a little bit concerned about it, right? How do you separate against elite NFL coverage guys? You know, PAC 10, uh, talent pools a little down. I had a couple conversations with guys around the NFL who said PAC 10, PAC 12 guys, excuse me, always freak me out because the level of competition, I just don't trust it. I just don't trust my evaluation. I don't trust the game tape. And so that was another thing that came up quite a bit. I like him a lot. I, I love, again, I love that he blocks. I love his physicality on finishes. I love how he competes for the football in the air. Like he is a Logan Paulson football player, right? But in terms of translating that skill, that was another thing that was tough about the draft is you look at a college player and the college game is different than the NFL game, right? And so how do I take this skill set in college and translate it to this kind of different element in the NFL? When you look at him and we talked before about Carson Wentz and the the accuracy or, the, yeah. you know, it can be a little bit off here, here, and here. One thing you see with Drake London is that ability to adjust in the air. Yeah. And how, if, if they go that way, can that be a benefit to, to them? And does that offset some other things? It's funny when you were talking, when we asked me about that, whenever that was last week, we did that. The I was thinking about Drake London. I was like, well, he'd actually be a pretty good fit for, for that Carson Wentz skill set. So, you know, maybe, you know, obviously like that's the other thing about the mock draft. You're always going back and kind of making little edits and changing stuff. But um, I do think, you know, of the receivers that are going in that top group, he's got that skill set. You know, he's the guy to do that. So, again, like in on my mock draft on the commander's website, like I put him in there and I just again, he's in there. He's in the discussion for me at 11. And I think he would be a nice fit here. And I'm not I wouldn't be upset. I just have more reservation about his skill set translating the NFL because I'm not sure about his his top end speed again love the short air quickness right, right. he's got it's it's high level competing for the air high level all that stuff's great and for a guy his size to have that short level that short air quickness I think is is different but it's funny that you brought up Jordan Reed because there's there are a couple of times where I'm watching them play and you pointed this out to me I think a month ago or so but there was a there was a clip some clips I was watching of him where he's basically almost lined up almost like an H-back yeah, and I'm like, and he ran this round. I'm thought my first thought was that looks like Jordan, <laughs> but now he's a faster version of Jordan. Yeah, right. But it yeah. looked it, it looked stylistically it looked like Jordan, which is valuable. Is it? Is it? But the question is, is that valuable at 11? And right. is he fit this offense? You know, which wants to kind of be a little bit more vertical as opposed to horizontal. I think moving into 2022. Are there other big receivers? Let's say they let's say they don't get Jamison 11. Yeah. Are there other big receivers that you like after the first round that, you know, whether it's an Alec Pierce or someone like that, that you yeah. say, you know, that you say like, you don't have to get size here. Cause I know like in Scott Turner's offense, we always hear that size is important. It's yeah. some level. So they want to get that if you can. So who after the first round would you say, you don't have to get Drake London here because you can get this guy here. Yeah, I think this is this was tough for me, too, because I think that's one of the reasons Drake London's value is so high this year is because they're, you know, you kind of classify your speed receiver, your do it all receiver, your big receiver. And the the list of big receiver is not very long. And after I say like the first three guys, it's not great, which is a little bit why, like, I think people are pushing him up because his value is going to be really high this year. because He's got a very unique skill set. You mentioned Alex Pierce. Like, I like his film a lot. You know, I, in some ways, he like I kept having this weird like A.J. Brown comp in my head, and it's not the same player because he's not the same after the catch, obviously. But in terms of just 
being like bigger and stronger than everybody, it shows up a lot on tape. Like his, he's got a 40 inch vertical and he's six, three, he's got long arms. And then when he jumps for the football, it looks like he's jumping off a trampoline. So obviously like that is really exciting. And in my later rounds, I kind of mentioned, like, if you want to take a flyer on someone with a really high upside from a physical standpoint, Alec Pierce is definitely there and he, he's not overly physical as a blocker, but he gets it done. Um, the guy that I think is probably the most interesting, especially for this team, excuse me, was um, Christian Watson. I know everyone's talking about him, but he's six, four and a half, six, five. And he, when you watch his tape again, again, level of competition is not great. But when you watch his tape, like the first time I watched it, I think I told you this, like I thought I left the tape on fast forward because that's how fast he looked. He's this big, you know, he's got this long stride. He, he's just, he's an explosive playmaker. So um, I love him and I love his upside, but again, very, very raw, struggled a little bit with press at the senior bowl, the physicality element of the game, but a guy that, you know, I haven't talked to a lot of teams about him yet because he wasn't going to go in the first round, at least in my mind. But again, those are the two guys that I would keep an eye on. The problem is, is do you, I guess you could, you could take him at 47. I think a lot of people feel like they're going to be off. Alec Pierce will be there. Alec Pierce feels more like a late second, early third right. kind of that's guy. Right. And they don't have a third round. Right. So I think that's the issue with him. But again, I, I like both of them quite a bit. And I think either one of them would make this football team better. So and Kyle Hamilton was sitting there too. And we, you know, you mentioned Buffalo nickel. We've talked about that a lot. Um, and, you know, what are your thoughts on him? And again, it's a spot they want to fill. Yeah. So you don't get him. Where are you looking? So this really isn't an indictment of Kyle Hamilton. Like I have some questions about him. I think he's a little tight in the hips. You know, it's so funny before he even ran. I know a lot of people don't feel this way. I had questions about his top end speed. I just like the way he, his foot interacts with the ground. It, it gives me questions. And then now compound that with how he ran um, again. I don't think that's like the strength of his game anyway. I think he's really high level anticipator. I think he does a good job just playing football. But, you know, there's a little bit of concern about how that translates. But again, like his vertical jump, his broad jump, all those things kind of make you think that he's got the explosive tools to kind of run better when he needs to run better. Um, but I think the thing about him and the Buffalo nickel position is I felt like there were other guys that I liked more for that role when they were picking at 47. So Jaquan Brisker is one guy that comes to mind. He's a very physical football player. He he reminds me a lot of Landon when I see him, like the way he fits runs, like he's not afraid. Great tackler, defeats blocks well, and has, I think, better coverage ability, at least right now, than Landon does. So like that to me, and he'll, I think he'll, he might not be available at 47, which makes it a little bit risky not to take Kyle Hamilton there. But I think he fits that Buffalo nickel role a little bit better. And then Petrie out of Baylor is a guy that I like a lot as like I know you've a, talked about him before. Like just a football player. Like he is a guy. And then Hill out of Michigan is another guy who guys, because I the reason I like them is because I think they have better natural man coverage ability than Kyle Hamilton. And I think they also have a nice physicality when it comes to fitting runs. So you just get better athletes on the football field. And again, that's not an indictment of Kyle Hamilton because I think he'd be great in that role. But there's three guys I just mentioned who might be there when you're picking at 47. And and, right. and they fill that role and they add another coverage element that Kyle Hamilton doesn't have. And I also think like it's important. I mean, I do think they need to add another element to that offense at receiver. So I think whether it's whether it's somebody who's a game breaker or whether it's the Drake Lundins or whatever, I think it'd be good to get that. Yeah. Again, then what do you think you can get in round two? And then um, the other thing too, offensive line. Yeah. So if you're looking at that spot because. As we talked before, needing yeah. a guard, 
Or would you look, are there any tackles where you'd say, I'd be tempted to take this tackle and shift Cosme to guard? And which which would be the best option here? Right. So there's and two, I'm not even advocating that. I'm just saying, but that is if they got yeah. a tackle they really liked. And it's I think that's that's not an indictment of Cosme. Like no. in some ways, I think that's a, that's an endorsement of Cosme because I think he's that good of a football player. You just want him on the field and right. you're going to get the guy you draft and put him in where you need to. And I he played a little bit of guard at Texas, you know, so he he's got a good skill set for it. Um, OK, so in terms of tackle, I talked to one of my buddies and he was telling me that this he felt this tackle class was a little bit weak, like. He said he thinks Aquanu is probably a guard. This is his opinion, obviously. And I don't disagree with that because he's a little tight-hipped. Uh, Neil might be best at guard, which is crazy to think about because he's so dang, dang big. But again, those are top two. I had a guy who told me that they don't, they're not even evaluating Penning as a tackle, they're evaluating him as a guard. So if he were to slip, you know, maybe you put him in a guard, right? Um, the other guy that I think is probably most exciting of anybody in this class, and I don't think that many people are talking about him, is Tyler Smith from Tulsa. Every single O-line coach I've talked to, they just perk up when you hear his name. And it's because he's got position flexibility. He's big. I, Johnny, if you haven't watched his tape, it's maybe the rawest tape you've ever seen. I have not. He's all, he's all over the place, doesn't use his hands well. He just is like this gigantic dancing bear of a human that I think you can plug and play at guard right now. And especially with Matsko as your coach, that's a guy you say to yourself, that guy under that kind of tutelage is going to be perfect for this game because he's big. He had the highest graded um, big elite blocks by PFF. So like knockdown blocks, pancakes, physical finishes of any player in the country this last year. Um, but he's like, he looks like he's playing high school football. Like he, like he just mm -hmm. hasn't been coached. But a lot of people like the athleticism. They like that he... Um, the physicality and they like that he is willing to learn. And so I think that that's an interesting guy who might, because of the technical deficiencies and just the raw, um, the lack of football knowledge, he's a sophomore coming out of Tulsa redshirt sophomore. So if he were to slip to 47, like I would jump all over that. And then the other thing that's kind of crazy is after that tackle gets a little spark, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like it's not great. So, um, one guy that comes to mind, a guy that I like a lot. And, and when I talk to guys around the NFL, they like him too. They're a little bit worried about his um, demeanor in terms of being like high energy, low energy kind of guy. He's, he's not, he's, he's not very excitable, which makes some guys nervous. Cause like how passionate are you about football is Daniel Falele out of Minnesota. Oh, okay. Um, okay. They get, he gets a lot of comps to Orlando Brown who, you know, obviously a team just traded a first round pick for, obviously he's only been playing football for four years and hasn't been playing a ton, but it's gotten better each year. And I think when I watch him against elite competition, Ohio State, Purdue, I just see a guy and it screams to me, the offensive lineman outside of Tyler Smith with the most potential in the draft, who will probably be there when they're picking in the second round. Okay. I think he's probably more of a late second, early third because he didn't test very well at his pro day. But again, like when you watch the film, man, like you're just like this guy, he's got 35 and a half inch arms. He's 6'9", he's 380. When he gets his hands on people, it's awesome. But the thing that I love most about him is his pass protection. So there's that. There's a kid from um, not North Dakota State, uh, Wachowski, something like that. He's 6'9", 310, a little bit better athlete. I like him a lot. He'll be available later. But I think a guy that could maybe be a swing tackle to start that you develop. But again, after that first round of guys, the consensus is that it's not ultra deep. There are some guys with some high upside that you like. But there's some pieces you got to move around and um, a lot of developmental guys. Last, two more things. I appreciate your time, as always. Um, 
just give me one or two tight ends maybe to watch later. Cause again, we know that there could be, is there one or two that you'd say after the fifth round or so that maybe right. pay attention to that? I know that Jelani Woods is not going to be, he, yeah. he's really good, but like, I don't think he's going to be there for them. Yeah. Jelani's one of my favorites. He's a guy that I've worked with personally. So like, I'm really biased there. I, I like right. him quite a bit. I, yeah. um, uh, obviously Greg Dolce is another guy I work with yep. at UCLA, probably not going to be there in the fifth round. Um, Charlie Cronar out of Iowa State is six, six and a half. He's got 35 and a half inch arms, 30, 34 and a half inch arms, which is like tackle length arms. you got good understanding of the pass game, more of a why in terms of physical traits, I would say. But, um, and I don't think they're going to, he's going to slip that far. I think he's probably a fourth round guy. Um, uh, Otten out of UW is a guy that comes to mind in terms of a guy that has tremendous upside was hurt at UW, but every single person I've talked to has been like, oh, you should check out this Otten guy. You should check out this Otten guy. And I haven't had time to yet, but the buzz around him okay. and the potential, I think, is is conducive. And the fact he's coming off an injury means he might slide a little bit. So Otten out of UW is interesting, and I th- I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that struck my fancy. Obviously, I think the kid from Ohio State, who you're familiar with, Fucker. is probably going to be out of there in the third or fourth round. Um, but, yeah, I think there will be some guys later. It's just about they all have their warts this year, you know, like um, they didn't run as well as they thought. They're not as big as people thought. Um, And I think that's those are things that make people nervous about this class. Last thing. What's the you went through this process 2010 undrafted guy. What is do you have a favorite memory from throughout the process? whether it was draft, you weren't drafted. So whether it was when you signed or, you know, what, what was that whole experience like? Um, or is there anything, you know, that pops that you look back on from that entire experience? Yeah. I mean, I think I wasn't expecting to get drafted, but I did get a couple calls from teams in the draft saying, Oh, we're going to draft you. We're going to draft you. And I think when the draft finished, I had a lot of teams call me and want me to be a part of their organization, you know, which was very flattering at the time. And I think, um, the call when I, when I got the call and like, I was kind of in between uh, Washington and San Diego at the time, which is near where I grew up. Um, I was really torn, but I, you know, knew the tight end coach here at the time. And I knew a couple guys in the team here, which was exciting for me. Chris Horton was a guy that was always really cool to me at UCLA and uh, rising coach. Yeah. Rising coach. Exactly. You might, yeah, this might be head, head ball coach at UCLA here before you know it anyway. Um, and when I finally said, yes, you know, and I got a call from the strength coach afterwards and the administrative stuff kind of started happening. That was probably the coolest part for me because I had no expectation of, you know, being in the NFL. And so even though I was just, I thought I was just going for like an off-season program, basically, to kind of have that process started and be talking to NFL guys, talking to the staff, um, that was really exciting for me. And then the first flight out, obviously, like, and, you know, you, you shake people's hands when you're in the building, meet all the other rookies. Like, it just was a really... I mean, you can hear it in my voice. It was just a really cool experience and so unexpected. And it led me to this like crazy journey that I've been on the last, you know, 12 years. So now doing mock drafts, go check (laughs) it out on commanders.com. Logan, thanks a lot. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, John. After this break, I'll be back with former NFL agent, Joel Corey, as I gain some insight into the Terry McLaurin contract situation. Don't forget, you can listen to Joel's podcast, Inside the Cap, which is a part of the Empire Media Network. Welcome back. Now, here's my conversation with Joel Corey. Well, Joel, we kind of touched on, well, we didn't kind of touch on this topic. We touched on this topic a few months ago on the podcast, and you've covered it on your podcast, Inside the Cap. But 
it seems like it keeps going to places that maybe nobody thought, maybe the receiver market, how it affects Terry McLaurin. So first of all, are you surprised where it's gone? And how does this affect Terry McLaurin? Yeah, I'm quite surprised where the market has gone. Um, when the offseason started, there were four $20 million per year receivers. Now there are nine, and one of the four got released in Julio Jones. So I didn't anticipate you having Mike Williams first as at best 1B with the Chargers to Keenan Allen's 1A, getting $20 million per year. Um, Christian Kirk, he's at 18, but that ensured that these guys between that and Mike Williams we're all going to push above 20. Chris Godwin signed for 20. DJ Moore is a 20.628. Then you got the more accomplished guys like Tyreek Hill. I, on paper, it's 30, but to me, it's practically 25 because the last year is so inflated at 45 million. Devontae Adams, I call that 22 and a half million per year because he's not making 72.5 over those last two years for the on paper 28 million average. You got uh, Stefan Diggs at 24. So, if you're going to get anybody done and they're going to be more guys yet, all these uh, 2019 draft picks are still unsigned. The, the receivers, uh, Terry Debo, Samuel, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf. Those are the next guys in line. And also the Rams are going to do something for Cooper cup. Right. So where does <clears throat> Washington really hasn't started negotiating with McLaurin and his agents yet. They've talked, they, they, they know there's there's a discussion there, but the serious negotiations have not started. <clears throat> is that a would that be a concern to you? Because they're all along they've been late spring into the summer. They did it with John Allen last year. Is that timetable? Is that are they going too slow? Or are they playing it right? Well, that's the normal timetable. It's just right. no one could have foreseen that the market was going to take off like it was on a uh, skyrocket uh, this year. I. That's something that you, you couldn't really anticipate. The same could be said for uh, Kyler Murray, that he's wanted a deal with the Cardinals like yesterday. Right. And the normal time to frame is after the draft. Who thought Aaron Rodgers would sign for $50 million a year and Deshaun Watson would get a fully guaranteed contract? Right. So it's not you. Some crazy changes in the market aren't unique to the wide receiver position this year. So should – if you're Washington, would you? What would you do now with Terry? Would Would you still continue to wait and see where it goes? And what would be your approach for for their side first? I try to make the priority right after the draft because um, Tory Dandy is going to control what happens, and he's yes. kind of controlled it already because he represents Mike Williams and Chris Godwin, but also represents all three of those second round picks: Debo, right. AJ Brown, and DK Metcalf. So he's going to control everything. Um, I would try to beat those guys to the punch if you're terry's side what do you do oh patience is my friend there you go unless i can get my money with my structure i'm not in a rush to get something done obviously i want something um completed before i set on set foot on the field and training camp but i don't have to have something done by the time the mini camp ends in, in june <laughs> so how do you get that middle ground because again if you're in that group of four, all those, the 2000, was it 2019 picks? Do you, do you, are you okay going first? Or do you feel like if I blink first, what's going to happen? Like, you know, how do you get to that middle ground if you're trying to get one of those guys done? Well, I think the guy who goes first out of the four, four sets the floor for everybody else. Um, we saw last year with the uh, off ball linebackers right. that Fred Warner went first and Darius Leonard topped him. I don't know if this would have happened, but I suspect 
if Leonard had gone first, Warner would have topped him. So with Terry, what do you like? I think before we were looking 18 to 20. I forget they didn't throw that out the window. That, that's that, that's a bargain now. So what do you look at right now for his market value? Well, there are a couple of ways I could look at it. I could go one, um, Christian Kirk, the ba- the max value is 84 over four, which is 21 million per year. And he's got incentives, which a lot of them are earnable. Or if he, he would max out, if he had 80 catch, 100 catches, 1,200 yards every season. Another way you can look at it is how DJ Moore seemingly approached it. Right. That he had the fifth-year option of, I think, $11.116 million. And in the negotiations over new money, how many new years and the new money over those years. But I think Drew Rosenhaus' approach was Christian Kirk is making 72 over four. My guy's got this fifth-year fifth option over the four years, including the three new years. He's got to be 73 over four right? because it is 73 over four. So you back out the option. That's how you get the 61.884 over three years. So if I'm Terry, maybe I go, I need to be 73 over four. And if you back out the uh, salary this year, that's going to put you at 69 and some change, which puts you at 23. Or another way to look at it, is, okay, what happens if I played out my deal? Most likely, it was a good chance to be franchised. And that, uh, I project the franchise tag next year to be probably right around $20 million, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, depending upon where the cap comes in. And if you franchise them a second time, then you're probably talking, that's about 20% raise, 24. Average two tags, you're 22. 21, 22, 23, probably somewhere in, I know that's a big spread, 21 and 23. But probably somewhere in that range is where I could see it coming in. Um, I'm looking at Tyree Kill as 25. So if, if anyone's thinking Debo Samuel, if he gets straight to the Jets, is going to get 30, I'd be shocked by that. And then last thing on that, how much – it's funny because that's not a position where I saw it going to this level just because – I didn't either. I didn't either. Not this keeps, many guys. Yeah, and the draft keeps producing good receivers. Do you see a ceiling? I, like, what do you think happens? Because our, I just wonder if teams will continue to pay that for guys like for receivers because the draft keeps producing good receivers. I suspect at some point we have a tipping point that if this class produces guys who step in right away and are highly productive, particularly have another, if you have a guy to this year's class who doesn't necessarily have to match production, but comes close to what Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase have done in each of the last two years, and maybe they're outliers. If you get someone who's a 1,000-yard receiver, looks uh, is the team's number one receiver, is in the mix for being in the Pro Bowl as a rookie, then or another guy who looks very promising, maybe teams start thinking, yeah, I can find guy. I can find a receiver. Because they keep producing. I remember there was a time um, 10, 12 years ago, the school of thought was a receiver needed two, three years to develop. But now they come in ready to play. So if that's going to be the new norm and it's not just a cycle, then maybe you decide to start churning receivers, kind of like some teams will churn running backs. Last question then. Deron Payne's the other one that they're going to have to get done. What? And now that we get through this period, what do you what do you think about his market and his value, his market value? Well, they got to decide which person on the defensive line they're not going to pay. <laughs> right, I know. So is he the guy that gets paid? Does he, 
you pay Jonathan Allen, well, I call him an interior guy, 18 million per year. So that's the ceiling. Um, the run stuffers last two years have been in the 13 range. He's going to want more than those guys. So it's somewhere between there. And I'm not sure I would go ahead and pay him because you got the two guys on the end, uh, Montez Sweat and Chase Young, who needs to have a bounce back year yeah. from, from last year. So you don't pay any linebackers. For, so maybe that's where you're going to put all the money in the line. But that's a whole lot to potentially invest in the defensive line. It is, and that's why I think they, they could end up taking somebody in this draft just in case they can't keep them all. So, but yeah, the receiver one – excuse me, the receiver one's going to be really interesting to watch because it's just unbelievable. And I know fans here are paranoid about what it means for McLaurin. I know they want to keep them, but they have to get it done. Well, the Jets have uh, demonstrated they're willing to give up a first-round pick and maybe in some more for receivers. So, signability is an issue for any of these guys – Maybe one of them becomes a Jet by yeah. by uh, this time next week. Could be. I don't think it's McCoy. I don't think. So. I don't I, think. Yeah. I don't think it's with Washington. No. I think well, Debo yeah. asked for a trade today, so maybe right. He's yep. got there you go, Joel. Thanks a lot. And again, people need to listen to you on the Inside the Cap podcast. Always insightful stuff. But that's why I like having you on. And so go listen to him. Thanks, Joel. All right. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Logan and Joel for joining me and thank you as always for listening. I'll be back with another episode on Monday, another one heavily focused on the draft. It's finally going to be draft week. I'll talk to you next time.